If you would, turn with me to John chapter 15. John is, uh, is the fourth book in the New Testament, the fourth account of Jesus' life. We've been steadily making our way through, and today we get to chapter 15. If you're using the Red Pew Bible uh, in front of you, it's page number 901, or, or should be close to that. Just to remind you kind of what we've seen so far, this is the last night of Jesus' life. It's his last uh, few moments with his friends, his disciples. And let me just tell you how the night has gone so far. Uh, They started off with eating together, eating the Passover meal, this huge Jewish celebration, uh, a remembrance of which, a version of which we will celebrate today. Um, But it... Something was different about it, something odd. Jesus, at the beginning of that meal, usually when the lowest slave in the room would come around and wash all the dirty feet of the, of the people who had gathered for the meal, uh, instead of a slave doing that, Jesus does that. Jesus gets up from his seat as the host of the meal uh, and disrobes and puts on the servant's towel and goes around and cleans all the feet of his disciples. So the king of glory humbles himself, and then he sits back down and he teaches them what he's doing. Not only is he giving them a picture of his own humble love and really what he's going to do on the cross, but he's, going to give, he's giving them an example, giving us an example of how, of how we ought to love one another. Jesus also then goes on to tell them some bad news, that he's leaving and that one of them is a betrayer. One of them is going to turn Jesus in to the authorities. We find out, at least the readers find out, that it's Judas Iscariot. And then Jesus tells Peter, kind of the lead disciple, the brash, proud, we're going to get it done disciple. Peter says, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. Jesus says, that's not true. Tonight you're going to leave me. You are going to deny that you even know me. And so in one sense, chapter 13 ends on a really bad note. And so Jesus then comes in in chapter 14 and gives really comforting news. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. And here's what I'm going to leave with you while I'm gone. I'm actually going away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to walk with you, to be your helper, to remind you of the things that I've said so that you'll have continual access to me in prayer. Jesus makes all these wonderful, comforting promises in John 14. And then in John 15, he turns to give uh, some more instruction about what life will look like after Jesus is gone, how life will continue. And so, if you would, we're going to read John 15, 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. 
and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And God, pray that you would now open it up to us. Help us to understand what Jesus was saying to them, so that we may understand what Jesus is saying to us. Lord Jesus, we want to meet you on these pages. We want to meet you and be transformed by you. Teach us what it means to live, to have life, to flourish and to grow. Bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships change you, do they not? Uh, it's often been it's often been commented that if you look at a at a couple uh, who has been married for a very very long time, they kind of look like one another a little bit, don't they? And that's even maybe a, a little bit kind of weird. Like these two people who started out not looking like each other have been married for so long that. Now they, now they sort of look like each other, and they share a lot in common and even kind of act like each other. And in some way, that's not weird, but actually beautiful. Uh, we realize that over the long haul, that in relationship with one another, we actually change. Um, that when we abide with one another, we are, uh, we are transformed. And that word abide, okay, that word abide is used 11 times in these 17 verses. So just one really good rule for reading and understanding the Bible, if you're trying to figure out what a particular passage means, look for words that are repeated a whole, whole lot. And in this case, you find the word abide repeated a whole, whole lot. So what does that mean, abide? Um, Maybe your Bible says remain. That's a good Word, remain is a good word for abide, right? It means to stay in, to live with, to dwell in. It's the old word abode, where you're 
Where is your abode? Nobody says that anymore, right? Your abode is where you stay at. How about that? Right? So abide means to remain, to stick close, to persevere with. And the whole idea of the passage is this. That to live like Jesus, I think a lot of people maybe would have that desire, even if you're not a Christian, even if, um, even if you want really nothing to do with Christians, Christians kind of creep you out, or you find them really hypocritical and nasty. Um, but you like Jesus, or you like the idea of Jesus. Um, you've always understood Jesus to be a good man and a good teacher, and so he would be a good person to pattern your life after, perhaps. Um, what Jesus tells us in this passage is that in order to live like him, in order to be like him, your life must be tied to him. In his words, you must abide in him. You must remain in him. So what we're going to see, uh, first of all, is that when Jesus says he is the true vine, what he's saying is that he has succeeded where others have failed. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, how we abide in Jesus. And then we're going to look at two practical questions that flow out of that. And so first, let's, look at, let's unpack what Jesus means when he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, these guys are probably, they're, they're, they're probably still around the table. Maybe they're making their way out across the valley to the garden where Jesus is going to be rest, arrested either way. Um, they've just had some of the fruit of the vine. They've had some wine, and so maybe that's what's on Jesus' mind. Or um, they're going to a garden, and so they're surrounded by vineyards, so maybe that's why it's on Jesus' mind. But really, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, whenever Jesus says that, I am the true something, what he's doing is he's going back to the Old Testament and he's picking up one of the images or one of the pictures back there and he's showing how he's the real deal, how he's the fulfillment or the replacement. And so in this case, Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's picking up a picture from the Old Testament and you would find at least one reference to that in Psalm 80. So if you want to turn to Psalm 80 in verse 8, you'll find this. The psalmist says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. The psalmist isn't talking about a real vine. He's talking about God's people. He's talking about how in the book of Exodus, God goes to Egypt and he rescues his people, right? He takes the vine out of Egypt and he brings it through the wilderness and plants it in the promised land, right? He clears out the rocks and the weeds and all the other stuff that are going to get in its way and he plants it and he causes it to grow and to flourish. And those are his people, right? His, his treasured possession, the Israelites. That is what... So the vine in the Old Testament is the people of God. In fact, um, probably not too long, I don't know if any of these coins would have still existed in Jesus' day, but right before Jesus, there, there were a series of revolts, right? As the Jewish people revolted against the Romans, um, they called those the Maccabean revolts, and the, the Maccabeans controlled 
uh, Palestine. They controlled Israel and Judah, and they made coins. They made their own currency, and stamped on those coins was the picture of a vine. It was the symbol of God's people, of Israel. I think when I read this about a, a muscadine, we had some muscadine vines at a house we used to live in, and they were planted there before we got there, and they had gotten out of control long before they got there. But I, if, you, if you never prune a muscadine, at least these, if you don't ever touch them, they will control everything. Right? These, these two sets of vines had grown into each other. They had already overtaken one tree and were in the process of overtaking a peach tree. Right? They were growing in all kind of which ways. And that's the, that's almost the picture you see here. The mountains were covered with its shade as, as God's people are planted and they grow and they grow and they grow. But something happens. Something goes wrong. Listen to the prophet Hosea. In Hosea 10, he says this. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. So, so the more Israel grew, the less content he got with God and began worshiping other gods. So the more his fruit increased, the bigger and better he got, the more he decided he was going to worship other gods and build more altars. As his country improved, he improved his pillars, pagan worship. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Isaiah says something similar in his prophecy in chapter 5. He talks about how God plants, clears the ground for the vineyard, plants the vineyard, but then all he gets out of it are wild grapes. But the vine won't produce the fruit that the vine dresser wants it to produce. That it is rebellious. And so, whenever you see this image in the Old Testament, even in Psalm 80, it's never a good thing. Israel as the vine was never fruitful in the way she was supposed to be. Uh, she either grew wild grapes or produced no grapes at all. She did not bear fruit. And so... The vine of Israel, even though it was stamped on a coin as the symbol, the vine of Israel was an absolute failure. And so Jesus steps into that and he says, I am the true vine. I am the genuine vine. Not like that false vine. I am the vine who produces real and lasting fruit. And so Jesus picks up the imagery from the old Testament. Jesus is what Israel was supposed to be. He was the faithful son that Israel never was. Everything Jesus is saying that everything before me has, fall, has fallen short. I am the real deal. I will bear the fruit that God's people are supposed to bear. And here's what that means. That Jesus succeeds where everyone else has failed. Jesus succeeds by loving God with his whole heart and his whole mind and his whole soul and his whole strength. He loves God by doing what God asks him to do. And then he makes that life possible for everyone who will be united to him. So Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, means I succeed. I am the faithful one where others have been unfaithful. I succeed where others have failed. 
And so then from that we learn this, that abiding in Jesus is the only way to bear real fruit. If you want to bear real fruit, you have to be in the real vine. And the imagery that Jesus uses is pretty simple. If you're even just a little bit familiar with gardening or farming, uh, then, then the image is pretty clear. In verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And so, and then in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And this is common farming practice, right? If you have branches that are sick or dead or dying or not bearing fruit, you cut them off. You take them out of the plant, right? They're, they're using up space. They're creating shade. They're blocking the sun. Whatever it is that they're doing, the bad branches are removed. And Jesus says uh, something pretty stark and something pretty scary, that if you're not bearing fruit then you are a bad branch. Because the goal of the branch is to bear fruit. And so if you're not bearing fruit, then you will be taken away. You will be discarded, and you will dry up, and you will wither, and you will be burned. Jesus is talking about eternal judgment. And he's talking about people who at some point probably looked like they belonged to Jesus. People like Judas Iscariot, who had spent years with Jesus. People would have said, hey, that guy Judas, he's connected to Jesus. Right? Um, maybe we, we think of maybe even some of our own friends or family who, who would say maybe even that they're connected to Jesus. They've been baptized. They're members of the church, whatever it may be. But in reality, they do not bear fruit. And either now or in the, or in the day to come, they will be removed and they will be cut off and they will be burned. That is the picture of of judgment that Jesus has for those branches that do not bear fruit. And we need to heed that warning. Do not stand simply on your profession. Uh, Do not simply stand, kids, don't simply stand on the fact that your parents brought you here every Sunday and that maybe you've memorized some catechism questions or you study the Bible in your homeschool curriculum. You can't stand on that. That's That's not the proof. Right? The fruit is the proof, a life that bears fruit. And so if you don't bear fruit, then you are in danger and you need to hear Jesus' warning. And so bad branches are removed and healthy branches are pruned. Uh, pruning seems a little bit counterintuitive to me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a suburb kid and so I didn't grow up uh, gardening. That kind of has come a little bit later and I'm not even all that good at it now. So I wouldn't even call myself a gardener. But it's, it, seems almost, it seems really strange or counterintuitive that if you want something to grow healthy, if you want something to grow lots of fruit, you actually have to cut it. You actually have to prune it up. You actually have to keep it from overgrowing. Uh, I think again of the muscadine bushes that were in, the muscadine vines that were in our backyard. They were not producing a lot of fruit when they were growing into the peach tree. Right? When they were overtaking the peach tree, they were spending all their energy to, to send out new vines and to wrap around and basically take over this poor tree uh, that they were slowly but surely killing. But they were not producing muscadines. Right? In order to do that, they, they, were, they were spending all their energy in the wrong place. And so in order to get a plant, in order to get a vine to spend its energy in the right place, you have to prune it. 
You have to cut it short. You have to direct it. And Jesus says that's what the Father does to healthy branches. Those branches that do bear fruit, he prunes so that they will do what? Bear more. Bear more fruit. That's the goal. And so, Christian, if, if, you're, if you identify yourself as a Christian, uh, maybe you've already had this experience, but take heart in the fact that, that God will prune you. And pruning, I, no doubt, I'm sure if the plant could talk to us, they'd probably say, well, you know, when you cut off a branch, that probably hurts, right? If a plant had feelings and could communicate to us. Um, pruning, pruning is not pleasant, but it is necessary. And God will use circumstances. He will use trial. He will use his word. He will use other people, other Christians even, to come into your life and prune off what is excessive. To prune off all those places where you're spending too much energy when you should be producing fruit. And the goal is that you would produce more. The goal is that you would grow closer to and grow in God's goodness. God longs for us to bear fruit, and He will prune us to that end. And so we can say this, Believer, your life is meant to be fruitful. We are meant to be fruitful. Fruitfulness is good. Unfruitfulness is bad. So how do we bear fruit? How do we become fruitful? Jesus is pretty clear. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, unless you remain in me, unless you draw closer and closer to me, unless you stay connected to me, get your life from me, just like a branch gets its life from the the trunk, from the root. If it doesn't abide, if it doesn't remain in, stay connected to, then it cannot bear fruit. I want you to notice something, though. The command is not, bear fruit for me. That is not what Jesus is commanding. Jesus does not command, bear fruit for me. Fruit is the goal. Fruit is what will happen. But the command is, abide in me. Now, we like to... Do we like to take that and turn that? Because maybe it's a lot easier to think about, okay, well, how can I bear fruit for Jesus? And I want you to imagine for a second a branch kind of off on its own going, I'm going to bear fruit, I'm going to bear fruit, I'm going to bear fruit, I'm going to bear fruit. We would laugh at that branch. That's a silly branch. Because bearing fruit is what it does. But it only does that when it connects to the vine. And so Jesus says, if you want to bear fruit, abide in me. Remain in me. Stick with me. Fruit bearing for Jesus is the result of abiding in Jesus. And it goes both ways. Jesus says he abides in us. Just like, just like a, a branch is very really in the vine, so the vine is very really giving life and is in the branch. Jesus says abide in me and I in you. It goes both ways. In fact, if we don't do that, we can do nothing. Jesus says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So bearing fruit and being disciples are not two separate things. It is impossible to be a disciple of Jesus. It is impossible to say that you are connected to Jesus 
and to not bear fruit for Jesus. One goes with the other. To bear fruit is the outward proof of being a disciple of Jesus. So that leads us to two practical questions. If Jesus is the real vine, the only vine that can bear lasting eternal fruit, and if the only way we can bear that fruit is to be connected to him, then we need to answer two things. What does it mean to be fruitful? What kind of fruit are we talking about? What does that even look like? And then what does it mean to abide or to remain in Jesus? So let's start with the fruit. What does it mean to be fruitful? What kind of fruit are we talking about? Don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. Is that, uh, is that bearing fruit for Jesus? Is that what that looks like? Maybe, though not likely. The scriptures are very quiet on chewing, whatever it is you're chewing. We ought to search the scriptures to get the answer for what it means to bear fruit. There's another part in the New Testament that talks about fruit. Galatians 5. The Apostle Paul, as he writes his letter, he talks about this thing, this, this fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 says this. He says this, and, and just to kind of give you some context and some summary, he, he's talking about what, if, what your life will look like if the Holy Spirit is in you and you walk with the Spirit. This is the produce. 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Paul is, Paul is basically showing us Jesus. And it makes a lot of sense. If you're going to be connected to the Jesus vine, the fruit of being connected to the Jesus vine is looking like Jesus. So at least one, one way, what, one thing it means to bear fruit is to have a life in conformity to Jesus' life, that our life looks like Jesus. What does that look like? Verses 10 and 11, Jesus describes his life for us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus' life is one of joyful obedience to the Father's will. And so those who look like Jesus will also be those who joyfully follow Him. Not onerous, not dutiful, but joyful. And that's not to say that obedience keeps you on the vine, but obedience is proof that you are on the vine. What does that obedience look like? See verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus takes, of all the things that Jesus has said, of all the commandments that He's spoken, He summarizes them in this, that you love one another. 
love one another. He's already talked about this in chapter 13 when he washed their feet. How do we love one another? What does that love look like? Just as I have loved you. So Jesus' love for us, what, what is that? It's self-sacrificing. It's giving. It's humbling. Jesus says, that's the kind of love you ought to have for one another. It's a scandalous, generous love that goes beyond what we would call safe or wise. It's a love that always gives. And so to bear fruit means we look like Jesus and means we love like Jesus. It's the love of a friend, not a slave. Jesus says, you're my friend if you do what I command you. A slave doesn't know what his master is doing. A slave just does whatever he's told to do. Jesus says, our relationship is different. You still do what I tell you to do, but you know my mind. And you know my heart because you're my friends. And so it is the love of a friend, not a slave. Unless we should think that our relationship, our friendship with Jesus has something to do with our good wisdom... Right When Jesus calls his disciples friends, you can imagine that they were like, oh, yeah, I'm the friend of Jesus. I must be really wise and really smart. I've made the good choices. Jesus says this in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Right? Jesus says, listen, you're not my friends because you're good enough or smart enough or doggone it, people like you. You're my friends because I chose you. And because I chose you, I am setting you apart. I am sending you out to go bear more fruit. To go spread the love of Jesus to other people. And so to bear fruit for Jesus means to look like Jesus, fruit of the Spirit. To love like Jesus in a sacrificial way. And to, and to bear fruit among other people. To take the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus out to the nations. So that's what the fruit looks like? What is abiding? How do we remain in Jesus? Is it like a new agey, mystical sort of thing? Like, just abide, man. Alright? How do we abide in Jesus? Jesus gives us some indication. Let's look at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so at least part of abiding in Jesus is Jesus' words. We have to know what Jesus says in order to understand Jesus' mind. And then he talks about prayer. If my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish. And we've talked about unlimited prayer. We talked about that in chapter 14. But here you have really the two components of any good relationship. Right? If you are in a healthy relationship with someone, it means you're listening to them and you're talking to them. And so it is the same with Jesus. To abide in Jesus means to listen to him, to listen to his words and do them. Right? Not just to listen, listen and dismiss, but to listen and do. And then to pray, to talk with him, to ask him for the very thing you need, which is the strength to bear fruit which is the perseverance needed to abide. And so, words, prayer, and then we're back to joyful obedience. It's hard for us to abide in Jesus. We can't really even say that we're abiding in Jesus 
if we're not doing what Jesus says. In fact, the proof of being Jesus' friends, the proof of being in the vine, is doing what Jesus says. A professor, uh, in fact, the professor who taught, uh, one of my professors who taught this book to me, Knox Chamberlain, said this, The times of greatest doubts in God's promises have been when I willfully disobeyed God's commands. And so our obedience uh, is even a a proof of of help to us in knowing that we abide in the vine. How is all this possible? How can I have a life of significance, of eternal fruit-bearing for the glory of God? Well, it's not something you can muster up on your own. It's not something you can do. You can't plant yourself in the ground and hope that you're going to bear fruit. Jesus rejects that idea outright. You must be in the vine. Paul uses the image in Romans of wild olive shoots that have been grafted into the true vine. That's who we are. Well, that's who we ought to be. And so I would ask you, are you grafted into the vine? Are you a part of the true, genuine, real, only, fruit-bearing vine? If not, then you face the wrath of fire that God, that Jesus warns about. And I would, and I would warn you again, don't be that branch. Instead, abide in the vine. Come to Jesus. Root yourself in Him. There is no hope outside of Him. Listen to the end of Psalm 80. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the Son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Isn't it interesting that thousands, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, right here in Psalm 80, where it talks about the failure of the vine, the psalmist pictures a son of man that God will make strong for himself a true vine that will come later. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Come to Jesus. Drink in the vine. Be saved and bear fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promises and the warnings of your word. That if we call on your name, we are those who abide in you. And the focus is not so much on the bearing of our own fruit as it is remaining in you so that we may bear fruit for you. Father, I pray for everyone in here that they would be in the vine that they would not be outside of it to suffer the fate uh, laid out here in Scripture, but that they would flourish and grow more and more, even through pruning, even through difficulty, that we would bear more fruit 
that you would be glorified and that we would prove to be your disciples. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.